0: Welcome to the Power of podcast series. In our collection, we dive into critical, thought-provoking and contemporary content to stimulate debate and dialogue, all with the aim of driving gender equality in global health. I'm Joanna Riha, a research fellow within the Gender and Health Hub at the United Nations University International Institute for Global Health, based in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. Welcome back to the second episode with Kobe Smith, a 25-year-old Guyanese who has held various local, regional, and international leadership positions championing human rights and gender equality. In the last episode, Kobe talked about how his personal life circumstances and losing his mother to cancer drove him to become the young leader he is today. He talked about what feminist leadership means to him, as well as the importance of boards and other management structures reflecting the people they serve. In this episode, we're continuing with the same theme of feminist leadership and we'll be hearing more from Kobe. As with the previous episode, this episode is also dedicated to the memory of Kobe's mother. Kobe, welcome back. We're delighted that you're here to continue the conversation. As we said in the previous episode, you've held multiple leadership and decision making positions, being the co founder and vice president of the Sustainable Youth Network Guyana, director of the Caribbean Vulnerable Communities Coalition, as well as being a board member of FOS Feminista and IPPF, the International Planned Parenthood Federation. I wanted to ask when you are in positions of privilege and power, in these leadership and decision-making positions, how have you remained grounded and not lost focus in terms of who you're representing and speaking on behalf of? And how do you create the space and ask the questions that perhaps others are more fearful to ask or do not necessarily have the opportunity to ask?
1: Yeah, I think that is why, from the outset, I mentioned about feminist leadership being informed by personal experiences. And I remember when I first joined Global Boards, actually just to go back a bit, when my mom died in 2016, my very good friend, he gave me a stone and it had on it, it said, Mom and Kobe, it's like a black stone. And this is the first time I'm sharing it publicly. Every meeting I'm in globally, Every job interview, every conference, speaking engagement, I have it in my shirt pocket or have it in my pants pocket. And it's a reminder about why I'm in that particular space or what was the inspiration for me being there. And I remember... That woman, my mother, who was such a force, you know, but sadly, she lost her battle because she lacked access to those particular resources. And as I said, cancer's monstrous. And every time I am asked to vote on a budget at a meeting of a board or if we're contributing to a work plan or any kind of policy, I think about how is this serving women? What's the budget line for services? What's the budget line for healthcare? And I'm not a woman. I don't identify as one. I'm not a female. But I know what, what it's like to not have quality services. I know what it's like to not have information at your fingertips. And a lot of times people say, oh, we all have social media and we all have internet. We all don't. You know, we all do not. And I'm always reminded about her experiences and it floors me. And I remember in 2019, there was the Women Deliver Conference in Vancouver, Canada. And there's a video of me on YouTube speaking about gender equality and men and boys. And Johanna, honestly, I burst into tears on that stage because I had the same stone I was telling you about. And it was just, it was really a moment because I'm like, wow, a young Black Caribbean man, But I was also talking about the importance of providing for women and girls, providing comprehensive sexuality education as well. Because one of the things too is in my family, we also have a challenge of adolescent pregnancy where unfortunately some of my female cousins became pregnant in their teens and that really affected their livelihood. Because when you get pregnant at 15 and 16 and 17, you're unable to finish school, secondary school. And if you're unable to finish secondary school, how are you eligible for a job? How are you able to provide for your child and your family? And so when I tell you, Johanna, it's not because I have a doctorate, which I don't, in public health or global health. I also don't have a master's in global health policy yet. I hope to do that. But when I tell you life and this work that we're in is much more than a degree, it is truly about how are we serving people and how are those interventions informed in a meaningful way? Are we speaking to people? Do we know what they need And I don't profess to say that I know all the needs of women and girls. But when I tell you health, nobody could convince me that health isn't important. Nobody could convince me that HIV services are not important. There is a close friend of mine who's affected by HIV. And so there's another board that I serve on. It's called the Caribbean Vulnerable Communities Coalition that's based in Jamaica and do incredible work in HIV service delivery across the Caribbean and advocacy. And every time I'm at those board meetings in Jamaica, I think about my friend. I think about whether her ARVs are going to be provided in the long term, you know. I think about what kind of treatment she's going to get when she goes to a health center to pick up her pills. And I support her. Whenever she goes, I go with her because it's hard for her. She doesn't want to go. And so I I said to her, you have to go, you know, you have to live. And if me going, and she always says, you know, Kobe, if you don't go with me, then I'm not going to go. I make the time, you know. It doesn't matter. And if I have to travel, if I have to travel and her appointment is in the week of my travel, we ensure we go before I leave, you know? Um, so when I tell you, Johanna, when I think about feminist leadership, I think about all of that. I think about all of those people, you know, around me who need care and support. It's truly... Important for us to understand that.
0: Kobe, I think it's really incredible how you've managed to stay true to those things and not lose sight, you know, really remaining anchored, not just in terms of what you're advocating and fighting for in your professional life, but also on a personal level and how you're showing up and living those values and principles with your friends. I think. For me, it really shows that feminist leadership crosses all of these boundaries. It's not just what you do, perhaps in your professional role, but, you know, also in your personal interactions with others and where you place them. So thank you again for sharing. I mean, one question I've wanted to ask, you've brought up how important health and well-being are. And I wanted to ask, how do you look after yourself?
1: Honestly, Johanna, I am so glad that you're asking that. Because I want to be very honest and candid to say that I haven't prioritized that, to be honest. And when I say prioritize it, I'm talking about like physical health and mental health too. There's a colleague of mine who works in our office and she's like a a gym person. And so I said, you know, I'm going to join the gym with you. And she said, yes, come with me. And so I don't also have to pay for a trainer because she's going to train me. And so we would go after work ends in the afternoons and we went for like three weeks and then she had to travel to Canada to get married and so we haven't gone in like three weeks (laughs) and so I, I always say to her so when she was leaving she hasn't resigned but she's coming back and so when she was leaving to go and get married I'm like please you have to come back because we have a gym arrangement you know because it's one thing for us to, you know, sit all day and be in meetings and meetings are so draining. Like, let's be honest about it. I say to people all the time, Zoom meetings? <sighs> God, it's it's a lot. And it's not even Zoom meetings, in-person meetings, you know, contributing to documents, leading sessions and so on. It's, it's so, it can be so draining. And so I've tried the gym and so... That has been a release. Like, honestly, like you feel so, you just feel so light. I do that. I always say if I'm having a heavy day, like a loaded day where I just had a lot, I need to eat something good. And so I would go and buy, you know, a lovely burger from somewhere. Not like KFC, like, no, there's like this wonderful Latino joint that sells amazing burgers i would go and have that with plantain fries and so eating is also part of my release mentally as part of my self-care i try to do like go to the spa so for example tomorrow i have an appointment to do my manicure because my nails are not in the perfect shape and pedicure and so on i also listen to music and music has been so part of my grief journey and i recognize that And I always psyched my mother, and she's really informed a lot of my my work over the past seven years. And I understood that I needed to deal with my grief because it was so bad, Joanna, that I would be in meetings locally and internationally, and sometimes I would burst into tears. And there was a time I was, I think I was in Washington, D.C., went to the OAS at the Inter-American Commission on Human Rights. We were doing a petition before the commission on the state of the rights of young people in Guyana. And after our wonderful petition, we were walking along the National Mall where you see like the White House and the different monuments and so on. And my friend, well, a colleague of mine, he turned back and he said, Kobe, something is wrong. I said, No, nothing is wrong. He said, yeah, something is wrong. He's like, and you're sad? I'm like, yeah, because we were having an amazing time in Washington, D.C. And so I said, why? He said, Kobe, because you're crying. (laughs) And so I didn't even recognize that I was like (laughs) in that particular place, you know. And I found that, you know, it's okay. I completely embrace that it's okay to to grieve because you don't grieve people you don't love. I always say that grief is love. But of course, we can't allow ourselves to be drowned by it and you're laying in bed and you don't get up. But grief is also a motivation for me. And so I embrace that and I love music. And so I'm listening to music in, in the office. I'm listening to music in my car in my room, in the bathroom, it always keeps me steady because you have to find a place where you can just release whatever it is. And so that is really one of the things that I do. And lastly, one of my closest friends, she's a counselor. And I always say to people that I'm so privileged that I say, Because of our friendship, because of my friendship with my friend, the therapy I don't need and the therapy I didn't have is because of her. We speak every day and we talk about everything, you know. So when I get home, she and I are going to talk about this podcast. (laughs) You know, we we just talk about everything. And so I found over the past seven years, I found that that was my release or that has been one of my ways in which I release and so she doesn't give me formal counseling but I've been able to just share and there have been multiple times I remember there was one time I was at home and grief just like comes over you just like that and you're just in a mess and I had to call her and I said I said I'm not having a good day you know she said why She's like, oh, I know why. And we just started to talk and so on. And so I feel like we need to understand what are the ways in which we can get support. And it may not be support where it's formal support and you have to go and pay for it. But there are simple things that we can do in our lives that can really tip the scale for us. Good friends, good family, people that love you. That has worked for me. And so I tell anyone, look within and you can find your answer. But thanks for asking that. I've never had the opportunity to share that publicly.
0: Thank you again for sharing, Kobe. You've been so incredibly open and candid throughout this podcast. And I think that's often a side we forget, particularly when you're working in a lot of spaces where you're advocating for others, it becomes selfless. But an important part of the work really requires you to be well yourself. So I think it's important we keep reminding ourselves and each other of that. I'm very conscious of time, but I did want to ask one final question. So what would be advice you would give in terms of one actionable step you think all leaders, irrespective of gender or sexual orientation or the region you know they come from, can take away to lead in a more feminist way?
1: Yeah, thank you for that. I think I would say consult. Consultations can take some time, but any decision I have to make, I try to consult because a lot of times we think that we know know it all and we know what intervention has to be done and what decision we can take. And sometimes we do know, but it's also good to hear from colleagues because... You may be coming with your experiences and you may be seeing, like I I always say to people, I have a legal background. And so anything I read, I see law. The law just jumps out at me. And that's a good thing, but it's also about what are some alternative approaches that we can take to this particular issue? Because oftentimes the law is rigid. It's like just there but i think we can do more for communities of people through our feminist leadership if we consult and part of consulting we could in fact understand the needs the aspirations the desires of the people we're trying to serve And it's not just about consulting with your colleagues, but you can also consult communities of people. Are we actually meaningfully engaging the communities that we want to serve? Are we engaging women? Are we engaging youth? Are we engaging gender diverse people? Are we engaging persons who have health challenges? When we sit down in rooms to craft policies and programs, we're are those drivers and motivations coming from? And so why why I say consult and to engage, it really helps us to be more informed. And yes, consulting can take time. It can also take money, but it's better to consult than to take a decision that is not meaningful, that's not sustainable, that is not impactful. And so we really have to ensure that our perspectives our perspectives are informed, our perspectives are people-centred. And one of the ways we can have that is if we hear and take feedback and listen to people. Um, and as young people are always say, nothing for us without us. And that's really key. And it's not just about youth, it's about women. We have organisations and leaders and so many people who are making decisions over people's lives and they're not engaging with those people. Like, how is that possible? That, it doesn't make sense. How is it possible that somebody is cooking food for you for an entire month and they haven't asked you if you eat prawns, if you... Peanuts. If you eat chicken, or if you're perhaps allergic to dairy products, like that's not how we do it, because we know that there are health consequences, there are life-threatening consequences if people eat something or things that they're not supposed to. And so, part of that is communicating and asking people. What are their needs and how do we address it in a collaborative way? That's how I think we should see that.
0: I hope you've enjoyed this conversation with Kobe as much as I have. His stories and reflections on what feminist leadership looks like and means to him as a young Black man from Guyana, for me, have been incredibly powerful and inspiring to hear. If you haven't yet listened to part one, please do take the time to hear the first half of the conversation with Kobe. On that note, this concludes this mini-series on feminist leadership. Please do visit the Gender and Health Hub website where you can find Shrilata Badliwala's think piece on transformative feminist leadership, what it means and what it looks like there. Our website is www.genderhealthhub.org. Or you can visit the UNU IIGH website, which is www.iigh.unu.edu. You can also find us on Twitter. Our IIGH handle is at UNU underscore IIGH. Or the Gender and Health Hub Twitter handle, which is at Gender Health Hub. You can also send us your feedback and suggestions via email. The email address is iigh-info at unu.edu. Thank you so much for listening to this mini-series and looking forward to hearing from you on the next one.
1: This is a podcast recorded by the United Nations University International Institute for Global Health. The views expressed are those of the speakers only.